I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Valentine's Day is coming up. If you're in the restaurant business, this is the week that the phones are ringing off the hook with desperate guys trying to get reservations. This is the week for heart-shaped desserts and all kinds of caviar and specialty items on the menu. It's also a great day to have a nice bottle of wine. This year, I'll be pouring some Chateau de Valentine's Rosé, and I'll be featuring some older bottles of Kalon Sugar because it has that awesome giant heart on the label. I'm also putting on a little mini section of some of my favorite wines made by couples who are winemaking teams. But what is everyone else doing on Valentine's Day? I asked a couple friends, and here's what's going down the hatch this coming Saturday. What are you going to drink on Valentine's Day? Hey, my name is Pam Govinda. I live in New York, and I'm going to drink... Um, well, I'll actually be in London, <laughs> so I'll probably drink a pint of something. Yeah, probably like a really good farm ale or something. Are you going to drink it all warm? Yeah, room temperature. (laughs) Room temperature and flat. (laughs) Awesome. So that's my Valentine's. Uh, So I'm uh, I'm David Wachowski with Potomac Selections. And uh, one of my wife's personal favorites is the uh, Podera Labanchia, artist formerly known as Chianti Classico. Uh, So we'll be enjoying that probably with some fresh pasta um, and relaxing around the house. My name is Renato Vacca, I'm with Cantina del Pino, and uh, in Valentine's Day, uh, which is a special day, uh, normally I don't drink one wine, and so normally I have more than one, but this year, um, uh, producing red wines, I always like to drink some white, so uh, because actually it's also the birthday of my girlfriend, we will drink a champagne, and uh, that would be... Um, Gimonet Special Club 2002, which I love because it's a uh, delicious uh, Blanc de Blanc. And then, of course, we love Nebbiolo and so on. So we'll be uh, a Barolo and we'll be a Gramolere 2010, Fratelli Alessandria. Is, is Valentine's Day really big in Italy? Yes, it is. It is. Uh, probably it's different than, than here in the States. It's more about uh, 
the love, the couples, uh, and going out uh, with your girlfriend uh, to a nice restaurant or to make a nice uh, uh, dinner at home with your favorite wines and your, and your love. Well, it sounds like they have it pretty well figured out. Personally, my Valentine's Day always comes sometime around 2 a.m. when we finish up what is always one of the busiest days of the year. And I think this year, it's going to be a bottle of Nahe Riesling that I've been eyeing for a while. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And if you're in the restaurant business, I wish you many delicious espressos to get you through the weekend. I've been lucky enough to try some amazing wines while traveling over the years. Unfortunately, I've found that some of those same wines are really hard to find here in the United States. Whenever I run into trouble finding a favorite bottle, I go to idealwine.com and they have what I'm looking for. Whether it is a hard-to-source bottle of Burgundy or a micro-production natural wine like I Need the Sun by Domaine de Miroir, I know there's a chance that Ideal Wine might have it available. And Ideal Wine's entire Paris inventory is available to American customers with just a click. The process is seamless, the site is easy to use, and orders are shipped directly to you. Head over to idealwine.com, that's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com, to see for yourself what you could be drinking. Frédéric Barnier of Maison Louis Jadot on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Not so bad. Thank you. <laughs> Quite fine. Uh, happy to be in New York under the snow. Uh, so, but uh, nice, nice experience for me. Nice to see you. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. So, you were born in Brittany. Yes, I'm born in Brittany, west part of France, where there is absolutely no vineyards. But uh, it's uh, it's a region where we are used to drink. So we know we know a little bit about wine. What did your parents do? Uh, my mother was, uh, you know, in post office, uh, in charge of the, enfin, she, she has a career in the, what we call La Poste in France. So it's like uh, your post office. And my, my father was in finance, worked uh, 40 years in finance. He has created his own company after 20 years of career. And, um, but it was, uh, it was quite hard for him sometimes. Is that true? Yeah, clearly we, you know, we we had um, many crises in finance uh, since thirty years, and uh, honestly, uh, it was uh, an adventure for him, but uh, absolutely not, uh, uh, I would say, an easy life. Uh, and sometimes it was very, very hard, and I remember that very well. So, so it's probably why uh, I decided not to follow him directly in making the same thing. It was evident to you as a child that he was stressed out. Yeah, clearly. And, uh, you know, a father for you in general, and I'm talking in general, but it was the case for me. My father was my first hero. And uh, the idea was really to follow him and to do, well, in, in a part in my mind, I had this idea to, why not, uh, continue the adventure with him and do the same thing. But uh, but in the other way, to, to have seen him sometimes in so in trouble, uh, Voilà, the, the other part of my mind said, uh, try to do something else. So what first occurred to you to do? Was wine the first thing that came to mind? Yeah, in fact, you know, 
Um, my father is a wine lover, clearly a wine lover. And uh, there is a funny story where I was one year old and uh, he was educated by his uncle. And the first Burgundy wine he has, uh, the first wine he has with his uncle was an Alos Corton. So maybe uh, my destiny was to, uh, to, to, to work in, in Burgundy, but he has a special link uh, with, uh, with Alos Corton, with Burgundy. And uh, it's, it's a funny story because, in fact, uh, voilà, I'm, I'm quite proud now to be, uh, to be able to uh, bring some good bottles of wine, especially Burgundy wines, uh, for him. Because uh, it was a funny thing to, uh, to do something which was not so far from, from him, but in the same way, not exactly what he did. So clearly, when, it, when I was, it was time for me to choose, the, the second opportunity for me was to work in wine and to try to make uh, wine and to, to be interested in wine. I'm the first one in my family to do it. But again, it's, in fact, it's not so far from something which was close to my father because he's really, and he's still a wine lover. He likes, he likes wine. So I'm, I was used to see every day a bottle of wine on our table. Uh, I was used to see a full cellar of nice wines or wines in general. I was used to taste wines when, when I was young. I started to, to taste, to drink, 15 years old. Uh, I have good souvenir of that, so uh, it's probably why I'm, I'm now in, in wine. But originally, you had thought about maybe working in the Loire Valley. Yes, in fact, you know, I studied in south part in, uh, of France, in Montpellier, and uh, I've met my wife in Montpellier, and she worked just after school in Normandy, in flowers, she was in production of flowers. And um, so the idea was to, of course, to try to do something which was not so far from Normandy. So I, just after school, you know, we have to do uh, our final step before the diploma. It's to work uh, during three, four months uh, making an harvest. And uh, I, I tried in, uh, in Noir Valley uh, for a producer, but for different reasons, it doesn't work. It didn't work. So I, I, I left and um, I had the, the opportunity to, to join uh, my first producers in, in, in Burgundy. Uh, so I worked 10 years for, uh, in, and the first vintage was 99 in Burgundy, in, uh, in Côte Chalonnaise uh, and, and Côte de Beaune for the Château de Chassin and Montrachet. Oh, okay. So how did that job come about? It was, you know, it was a, for me, it was a fantastic experience. I learned uh, everything. Uh, you know, when you arrive, when you, when you, you are coming well, just after school, uh, the school I did, it's really a school dedicated for uh, viticulture, agronomic school. Winemaking, analogy, uh, we do it and we, I am an analogist, but it's not something, in fact, you can learn in, at school. You have something to leave it. It's, it's really something you have to leave. So it, it means you, you need to make different vintages to understand what happened. And in Burgundy, it's really important because always it's a new beginning. It's a new cycle. So, voilà, it was my first 10 vintages from 99 to 2009, and uh, it was an incredible experience. I worked with uh, very good people. Uh, the first one was Munir Sauma, which has created uh, his own company in Bonn, Lucien Loman, which is a uh, well-known, and uh, Michel Picard, of course. So I learned a lot about wine, about uh, vineyards, I would say the job, voilà, the, the, the beginning. And uh, clearly, I, I was uh, very, very happy to, uh, to work for, for this producer because uh, I had a, a large, uh, large freedom to, uh, to learn and I, I had a, a nice career. I mean, I started very, very on the, on the low base, you know, on the base. Uh, and uh, at the end, uh, I had uh, many responsibilities of the full production of all the wines and uh, it was a very interesting uh, experience. 
So you were there 10 years? 10 years, yes. And what were some of the first things you learned on entry into Burgundy? I mean, was the culture different? Was the setup different than in Brittany? Yeah, clearly, of course. You know, Burg in, alors, I would say that um, probably it's something which is interesting not to be from Burgundy when you are working uh, in Burgundy. Uh, we bring something which is probably uh, different and we bring curiosity. I mean, when you arrive in Burgundy, you don't know exactly the, voilà, all those systems of premier cru, grand cru, climat. So you need to believe. You need to believe that it's right. And probably the fact we are coming from outside from Burgundy, we are more curious. And we are probably, we have this uh, idea uh, not to be sure, not to be believer at 100%, because we, you need to live that before to be a real believer in Burgundy. And uh, that's something you, we have probably more as, the, as the, the people who are coming from Burgundy, because voilà, they, they are born there, they know that from a long time, and there is no idea to, uh, it was not true. But uh, when you are coming from outside from Burgundy, you want to be sure. So you, we have probably a curiosity that uh, sometimes people, the Burgundian people have not, because, you know, this is a tradition, it's like that. Generation after generation, it's like that. Maybe it could be, uh, well, it could be, it could be an idea, it could be a fact. But um, yes, clearly, um, Burgundy, it's absolutely nothing to do with Brittany. Uh, the, the, it's, it's raining less, and uh, the, the weather is clearly different. And of course, there is a, a, a real culture of wine. Uh, this is, a, this, where, where, where I'm living in Bonn, it's clearly yes. Uh, the heart of the town is the, is the wine. So, which was, which were, we have not that in Brittany. There is no wine, so we are drinking wine, but we are not producing wine in Brittany. But in a way, you move for better weather, is what you're saying. Oh no, I'm not. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. Or. I'm just yes. I'm just saying that it's raining less in, <laughs> in Burgundy. But uh, honestly, I'm not someone who is looking for um, a sunny, sunny weather, a sunny time every day. I need my winter. I need my spring. I need my fall. I need my summer. I need you know a good season, and uh, I like the, the the cold temperature when when it has to be. Uh, I mean, the, if during the winter the, the it's not cold. Uh, Something is strange uh, for me in my body. So I really am not someone who's uh, look. Well, I, I I'm not a big fan of the the to to live in the south of France where it's always sunny. I'm not looking for that. So you move to the Cote de Bone and you start up work with Chateau de Saint Dimanche. What was it like working for Michel Picard? So it's a self-made man. So. He has a, well, a clear. He had a clear view of what he wanted, so it was a. He was a very very exigent, but uh, but again, uh, it's something I have learned. Uh, you cannot, um, you know, some people are really talented, and uh, I believe that I am not so talented. So I work hard. So what I learned with him is to work hard, be concentrated on what you have to do, and uh, and in general, uh, it works. It works very well. Voilà, don't care about what happened uh, uh, around who, what people said. You, we have a target. We, we know what we have to do. And uh, voilà, w again, work hard, be curious. Cur curiosity, something I learned from him, clearly, because uh, it's, it was one of the things uh, he said uh, often. Uh, voilà, be curious. Don't believe that uh, uh, only what, what people said. You, you need to check. You need to be sure. You need to, voilà. Everything has to be uh, uh, controlled or not, not uh, the, 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 f the good word is not controlled, but uh, check, I would say, voilà. So, uh, voilà. 
a good experience again. And the size of the company was how big? What was it like? They have uh, 140 hectares in domain, so it's quite a nice, uh, nice domain. And uh, in in Burgundy, they they produce maybe around one million and five hundred thousand bottles. So it's quite quite important. Did you see things happen in Burgundy throughout that decade of of work there from '99 to 2009? Did you see changes in Burgundy, whether it be winemaking or in the culture or in the climate? Yeah, alors, may, maybe the, the, I would say the landscape of the producers has changed. Uh, we, there is um, now many, many small producers, small negotiants. As you know, uh, now all the, the, the nice growers, they have a negotiant activity. And you have a new, new um, I would say new, type of uh, producers which are the small negotiants uh, like Lucien Lemoine for example or Dominique Laurent bon, they are not so new because it's, it's since they, they, they do it since 15 years or 20 years but, but now they are numbers and uh, so you have the, it's probably more mixed between the growers and the negotiants you know there is We, we are used to say there, 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 is two fam there are two families in, in Burgundy, the, the small growers, which own the vineyards, and the, the big negotiants, which uh, buy the, the, the wines and sell the wines. Now the, the two families are probably uh, the same, because the small growers, they are all negotiants, and the big negotiants, they are all owner and big owner. Uh, if, you, if you take the, the traditional uh, negotiants, they are all big owners in Burgundy. So we are probably we, we are probably doing the same thing, and uh, it has absolutely changed uh, since uh, 15 years. Clearly, it's now it's uh, voilà, it's more confused uh, in terms of category, and um, of course the the crazy things we, we, what happened is the the price and the uh, the demand on the top wines. Uh, it's clear that today. Uh, There is a pressure uh, on the top wines, the top Grand Cruz, the top growers, the star growers, uh, which is crazy. Uh, Burgundy is very small. And uh, people who are able to understand wine, and especially Burgundy, increase a lot. Now, uh, everyone is drinking wine. So it means that uh, we have new customers. And uh, of course, because Burgundy is not changing the, the, in terms of size, the pressure increase. So it has changed since uh, 15 years, 20 years ago. We, we had not the same, it was not the same crazy things about the top wines, the Grand Cru, the top Premier Cruz. It was not like that. Today, it's, uh, it starts it, it start to be crazy uh, on the part of the, the, the wines. But it's like that. We can do nothing. Again, Burgundy uh, cannot be increased in terms of area. So how did the transition to Louis Jadot occur? What happened when? You know, in, in 2009, uh, I've heard that Jacques Lardière uh, on Jadot, it was Jadot, Jadot was looking for the, the successor of Jacques Lardière, the potential successor of uh, Jacques Lardière, because Jacques uh, wanted to, to get retired um, in a few years. So, and of course, it's uh, for a guy like me, it's, uh, it's an incredible opportunity. It's probably... Uh, It could be the opportunity of your life. It, it means it's very special. So um, I was very happy where, where I was, but uh, I bring back, you know, the announce uh, to my house, uh, spoke with my wife, and she said uh, the same thing I had in my mind, but I didn't want to say it because it was a big pressure for me. She said, hey, it's, voilà, it's for you. You have, to, you have to try. You have to try. Of course, you have to try. Again, it could be the opportunity for you uh, in your career. 
So I tried. I called uh, Jacques and I called him and I said, okay, um, I will try. I will try to get my ticket. Um, so it was a long process. Uh, it lasted one year because they, they had, of course, many candidates, many people have uh, answered. And because, it, again, it's a fantastic opportunity for all the people who want to make wines. So um, it was a very special process, long process. And, uh, but I had uh, this feeling that, yeah, it was, again, I was really motivated. It was for me. It was for me. Um, maybe one day you have to, you need to have a talk with, uh, with Jacques because he will tell you, um, the, the story on, on his side, uh, because there is a, there is a story about that. I mean, they, we had a very good relationship. Yeah. I mean, we, they, they, they were a link between us, which was a, a little bit special. And, uh, and the end, uh, I had my ticket. So it was, uh, I joined Jado in at the end, uh, at the beginning, sorry, of 2010. Uh, the idea was to share uh, three vintages with, uh, with Jacques, 2010, 2011, and 2012, before he got retired at the end of 2012. And it was a fantastic adventure. What's he like as a person? You know, Jacques, Jacques is very, very special. Uh, when I'm saying special, a lot of people know him. Uh, he's full of energy. He has the energy of 10 people. Uh, most of the young people have not the 1% of his energy. So it's, uh, it's, he's really amazing for that. He's really living, uh, what he's doing. Uh, he has an incredible sensitivity. Uh, I mean, he's really sensitive. It means they, People who know him, they know that sometimes it's difficult to understand what he, he want, what he say, because he, he has his own vocabulary, his own word, his own ideas. And I'm not sure sometimes it's so clear in his mind, but he has something very special. He feels very well everything. So he has a talent. Jacques is talented, clearly. Uh, he has a great talent uh, with the wines. He feels very well, so it means that he tastes very well. And he is able to see what will happen before it happens so on the wine. So it's something very special. And uh, he has made fantastic wines during 42 years. So, and in a company with Jado, like a producer for, uh, as Jado, it's something which is huge because we are producing uh, uh, different wines. And to be consistent during 42 years, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something which is fantastic. So this is the <coughs> challenge. This is the challenge. When sometimes when someone has a real feeling for things, that can be hard to communicate to others. Although, you know, as you said, Jacques was a great talker. Was it difficult when you took on the role to understand exactly? I think uh, with Jacques, we, we, we were on the good timing. We were on the good timing. It means that uh, Jacques was, um, he could be my father or my grandfather. I could be uh, voilà, one of his children or uh, one of his small children. And clearly we had these difference of generation, difference of age, which helped, in, a, in, in fact, very well to exchange. Because he was really uh, prepared and uh, open to, to give a lot. And for a guy like me, uh, with this difference of generation, you are automatically uh, grant open to listen and to, to take. So it was absolutely that during three years. Uh, in fact, we have not so much talk about techniques or process. We have tested a lot. We have tested, we have tested, we have tested, we have tested a lot. Uh, in the cellar, in, with the other producers, with all the team, for different events, together with customers, but we have tested a lot. And 
voilà, the idea was really to, to leave that and uh, to understand what is the line uh, for Jadot, what was his line uh, during 42 years, to try to, to keep the same idea, to, to keep the, to preserve the same philosophy and the same line, because that's, that's very important. I mean, the, the wines from Jadot, and Jadot is more important as us. So we, we need to preserve that and to, to make sure that the line will be, uh, will be protected for the, for, the, for the future, for the next generation. Did you find a Jacques Lardier palette, and was that the same as a Louis Jadot style? Did those things exist? I don't, you know, we, we have uh, for that. I, I think we, we are sharing the same the same idea with Jack. Um, I know that there is a, some people think there is a Jadot style. Uh, of course, it, it should exist because we touch the wine. The, the guy who is in charge of the wines touch the wine and probably transmit something. But if we are trying to do something, it's not to impact a Jadot style to the wines. Our idea is really to to be the most transparent as possible. And uh, it's why we are doing all the wines the same way uh, since a long time. Uh, so across appellations. Absolutely, the from the village to the Grand Cru and, and every vintage uh, are made exactly the same. We have the same process. Of course, sometimes it happens something and we have to make a difference But on, uh, on a wine. But uh, that's our first idea. It's to make exactly all the wines the same way. All the reds are exactly made the same way and the, the whites the same for the aging. Same for the pressing, same, same aging. Same pressing, same, same aging, same last of maceration, same idea of pigeage for the reds, same percentage of new oak from the village to the Grand Cru around 30%, same last of aging. Again, we want to put all the wines on the same line and make the difference, not because we have done something which is different, but because they are different. Uh, bone Couchereau is not the same wine as the Bonne Crédit Ursule, it's not the same vineyards, it's not the same exposure, the same age of vine plant, the same soil, and the wines are different. And again, you can compare it, and if you taste in our cellar, you can taste probably around 80 or 90 reds, uh, different from the different part of uh, Burgundy. And you can taste it through the same vintage and through the same idea, the same process, which is very, very interesting and very important for us. So again, we have our own cooperage. That's true. So that's why people, and there is just one guy behind all the wines. But this is a team. And again, we have absolutely not the idea to impact a style, to put a style on our wines and but of course it's what you said uh, and that what i said before uh, there is a guy who touched the wine so we transmit probably something so it means that jack has transmit clearly something to the wines of course uh, because we can do nothing uh, we are in charge so we put our fingers and our hands in the grapes so of course we we do something but really with this idea to be the most transparent as possible so you arrive in 2010, and what was that harvest like? 2010 was a very good vintage to start. Uh, it was quite difficult in terms of farming season. Uh, the, 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 voilà, we, we had many, uh, many events. We had some, uh, unfortunately for us, we had some, uh, some hailstorm. We have, well, vin the vintage and the harvest were, were not so easy, but it was a low yield, uh, low production, but a fantastic vintage because very pure, very precise. And uh, to, to start to understand what are the qualities or what are uh, the, the, the personalities of each vineyard, uh, 2010 was the perfect vintage because it's a vintage where each place, each plot reveals something very, very different and you can read it 
very easily because it's a French vintage. It has kept a certain freshness, a nice, nice purity. So uh, it was perfect to start. Nice balance on the whites, nice balance on the reds. Yeah, to for for a first vintage uh, shared with Jacques, uh, it was not so bad. It was not so bad. And how did that compare to 2011? Uh, Eleven is different. Eleven has kept uh, a touch of uh, an early vintage. Uh, remember that in 2011, spring was very, very hot, very dry. Uh, we were on an early, early cycle. Bon, summertime was not very good, as you as you know, in, uh, everywhere in France, but especially in Burgundy. So it has stopped, it has reduced the speed of the cycle uh, during the summer. But we have picked the grapes at the end of August, beginning really beginning of uh, September, with a, a very low level of acidity, so a touch of a vintage, which is a sunny vintage, an early vintage. In the same time, the degree of alcohol were not so high because the summer was not very good. Uh, so what we, are, we have picked the grapes because it was time. The, the sanitary state of the grapes were not perfect in 2011. But uh, so in, we had low acidity because it was hot which, and uh, the temperature destroyed the, the, the organic acid. And in the same time, not a big degree of alcohol, which was perfect because the balance was nice. So it has made wine very, very open in 2011. The reds, you can open it some, 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 uh, some of it now and you can drink it. They are very, uh, very approachable. 2010, it's more, uh, it's more dense. It's more concentrated. Uh, it's a vintage. You can drink it to, today. Why not? But uh, it's, uh, you have to keep it. You have to keep it. But what about the whites? Did you find that you preferred one of those two vintages for longer term whites? In terms of aging, I'm very confident with 2010, of course, but with 2011 too. The whites 2011 are more interesting in my palate uh, as the 2012 whites, for example, which were, which were really rich, really dense, incredible. But in terms of aging, I'm more comfortable with the 2011 whites because they, they, they have a nice, they have kept a nice freshness, a nice acidity. And uh, as you know, we are, we're able to to keep some malic acid to block to disturb the, the malolactic fermentation and in 2011 we do we do uh, we do a lot uh, we have blocked a lot of uh, malolactic fermentation to keep a nice acidity on the whites that's something that Jacques tended to do that yeah. he tended to block malolactic yeah yeah clearly yes but the system is uh, fantastic i mean we we have a reserve of natural acid in our grapes, which is the malic acid. So instead to add, uh, uh, you know, tartaric acid, just use the natural acidity you have in the grapes and blocking the malolactic. And it works very well. It works very well because, of course, it's a, it's a hard job because you have to follow each barrel. Uh, actually, for example, uh, it's uh, what we are doing. Uh, we, we are following the barrels, all the wines, wine, wine after wine, barrel after barrel. To, to, to find a good balance, to taste it, to follow it, and to understand what could be the touch of the vintage. Because it's not every year the same thing, and all, all, on all the wines the same thing. So you, you need to taste, 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 and at the moment you say, okay, I think that, yes, we need, on that vintage, on that wine, we need to try to keep a certain freshness, so I block it now. Have you adjusted any of the elevage of either the whites or the reds in your time since the handoff? No, you know, as, as I said, the, the, the process uh, is very clear and, and works very well. But what if we could bring something? Uh, it's probably uh, to be, uh, voila, it's, it's small, small, small details uh, we can bring at each step of the, the process. So it's, uh, it's not revolution, it's evolution. Small things in being uh, more precise, 
at uh, different moments of the aging of the wine making so uh, so uh, well, it's uh, it's the way to bottle the wine it's the way to uh, to rack uh, a barrel it's a very it's really small thing that people don't see uh, because it has not a direct impact to, uh, on the wine but the idea is to be again the more loyal as possible at what they are what the wines are at the beginning what the grapes are uh, at the beginning so you have something something happened after the fermentation in the tank or in the barrel and you have to catch that and to put that in the bottle and uh, all the things you you will do on the bad way during the aging i mean all the mistakes you will do you lost something you lost something you lost a part uh, of the the purity of the wine from the beginning so the idea is to be the the, the most precise as possible to keep that to keep this, uh, well, this transparency, this purity, this precision on the flavors, and what to keep what you have obtained just after the the, the fermentation, which is, voilà, which is the reality of the vintage on uh, on the place. So, so again, it's not evolution, it's not revolution, it's voilà, small things uh, we we could bring and we will try to, if we could, again, because uh, I'm not saying that the wines need to be to be changed. Clearly not. But I mean, have the whites moved in a more precise fashion since the handover? They seem sometimes a little leaner and fresher. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's, uh, it's a way, if it's uh, something we think about it. I mean, uh, for example, percentage of new oak has to be probably, uh, could be reduced a little bit. Or, uh, you know, again, it's, um, we, of course, we, we have some ideas, uh, but uh, it's quite early to speak about that because, uh, we need time. The wines has, has to speak uh, before I, I, I have to speak. So um, I that's th- a great quote. Yeah, the wines have to speak before absolutely. I have to speak. It's uh, it's our ambassador. So, voilà. Je, we we need the first thing is to to be sure that to to keep the same the same line and the same consistency as uh, Jacques had uh, during these forty two years, and which is honestly the the biggest challenge from far. So you said that 2012 was a bit more of a dense, concentrated year. What was it like to harvest? Yeah, it's a, a 12 is very special vintage in Burgundy. It has a density which is completely unusual for Pinot Noir and for Chardonnay. We had very low yields, very small berries, a lot of millerandage. So we had this uh, large skin, very hard skin, very deep for a small piece of juice. So for the reds, we have a very intense color and wonderful density of tannins, good flavors. So the wines are really, really dense, but absolutely not as stringent or hard, which is the good news because we had a very good ripeness in 2012. Again, because we had low yield. And on the wise, you have this, this feeling that the wines have a certain structure. They have some tannins, which is completely unusual. Normally, you have no tannins on the whites or few tannins. Uh, it's not a wine where you have tannins, and but we we have made in in a way in our press machine skin contacts uh, because the, the the skins were so big, so uh, heavy compared to the the quantity of juice we had. We have probably extracted some tannins, so you have this feeling of structure. The wines are so rich in uh, in in 2012, so it makes vintage which is very very impressive, very impressive and very special. But they have kept a good uh, good freshness, a good precision. So it's it's not cooked or you know. Uh, super heavy wine absolutely not they have kept a, a good freshness because it was not a sunny vintage 2012 sometimes i think of jado as having a kind of a perfume to the wines especially reds across the board is that something that i mean 
not going for a heaviness on the palate so much as a perfume and a nose. Yeah, but the, again, the, the, we don't want to make, uh, you know, uh, um, beast wine. Uh, we, we, what we want to do is voilà, what they are. So uh, again, what is funny is to see how in doing exactly the same thing, how the, each plot, each vineyard uh, give you an answer which is completely different as the other place. Uh, because we are we are macerating the, the reds uh, for weeks, uh, we are doing exactly the same pigeage twice a day, and uh, it's funny to see how uh, uh, that vineyard will give a wine which is completely uh, dense, uh, black, uh, big tannins, and the other one very very delicate with a nice flavor. It's like that. We we can do nothing. Uh, the, the, again, the idea is really to reveal uh, the profile of each place in the vintage. So it's to be the the most uh, loyal as possible from 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 the, the origin voilà. that's the idea uh, but that's that's clear that that's our process is not a process which make the wines uh, all the wines big or uh, heavy it's not the target clearly not and you're right sometimes when i taste judo wines i get a little bit more earthiness consistently in one parcel or another so take me on a tour of some of the key parcels for louis judot what should i know about some of the holdings that you have of course, the, the beginning of the, the, the story for Jadot was the, the, the first plot bought by the family Jadot uh, in the, the 90s and the, the, the beginning of, of the 20th century. So it's uh, Chevalier Montrachet les Demoiselles, of course, which is a very special plot for us. It's Corton Charlemagne and Corton Pouget uh, on the heart of the hill of Corton, which are very important. It's Bone. Bonne Clé des Ursules, the first plot we have bought in 1826. So it's a, it's a very special place for us, of course. Uh, we have uh, Bonne Clé des Coucherots, a part of Bonne, which is very uh, part of our DNA uh, in Jadot. And actually, uh, probably another classic for us, it's our Clovujo. Clovujo, we are, you know, we are uh, one of the most important owners in Clovujo. We have a little bit more as two hectares. And Clovujo, uh, the Clovujo Jadot, it's a very classic wine for us. So, but yes, the, the heart of our vineyard, it's probably the first vineyard we, we own from the beginning. So the, the, the vineyard from Les Héritiers Louis Jadot. So sometimes when I try the Le Demoiselles uh, Chevalier from Jadot, it's a little bit uh, deeper than some other Chevaliers. Is mm -hmm. that a factor of where it's located or... Yeah, that, that's true. It's not the same place as the, the other Chevalier. We are a little bit uh, northern. Uh, quite on the same altitude, but the soil is, uh, could be different. Uh, we are used to say that uh, probably the soil of Les Chevaliers Montrachet et Demoiselles has more to do with the Montrachet as the Chevalier soil. So it could be one of the reasons, because that's true that the, the Montrachet is a little bit heavier or more dense as the Chevalier Montrachet uh, on the top. And a part uh, on the map, on the old map, a part of Les Chevaliers Montrachet et Demoiselles is uh, Montrachet. Oh, okay. So I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a very, it could be a, a part of the explanation, uh, because after that we are, you are on the same altitude, and uh, and so probably it's yes, the the soil could be uh, closer to what you have just below the Chevalier Montrachet, which is the Montrachet. And what's your experience of that wine over time? Well, you know, Chevalier Montrachet de Moiselle, it's uh, um, I would say, you know, a great place, very. A very special place like the Chevalier Montrachet Les Demoiselles has a special taste. You know, you have this taste of the fresh hazelnut. You have it on the juice. You have it when you taste the wine from the cask. You have it 
when you open a bottle of uh, and a young one or vintage, but you have it still when you open a bottle after 10 years. So this taste of the, the fresh hazelnut juice, that's something which, uh, which has a link with this place. And often, uh, the, the Klima wines we have in Burgundy, like the Grand Cru and the top Premier Cru's, they have a taste you can recognize vintage after vintage. Even it's coming from this producer or another producer. They have a taste. Voilà. Les Bonnes Mars has a very special touch and so on. So for me, the taste of the, the Chevalier Montrachet Demoiselle, this is, yes, this, uh, voilà, this juice, which is very, very special. And of course, it, it's so interesting to see uh, how it's able to be aged for a long time. For, the, 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 for Jacques, uh, the, the last year, we, we had a, a fantastic vertical of uh, some vintages of uh, Chevalier Montrachet Demoiselle. We, we went to the 29 vintage. Uh, through some vintages before, of course, it was an incredible experience, and uh, clearly, it's, uh, it's yes, it's a fantastic wine, very elegant, very voilà, and nice with an incredible body. So it's yeah, fantastic wine. You probably came on to Joe at an excellent time to taste a lot of old wine, given the tastings that happened in honor of Jacques towards the end of his career. Yeah, clearly, but you know, we we have we have something probably um, which is not so common. Uh, we have a large collection of old wines uh, because the, the the generation before us they have made the effort to keep some bottles and not to sell it. As you know now, it's uh, it could be an incredible business, and uh, we never we never sell these bottles. It's really for us, for the knowledge, for to show to the other people how it's able to be aged, why we are doing uh, what we, we do and why why we, we are right to continue to do what we are doing because it's really in tasting old wines like that you you discover and you realize that when you are tasting wines from Bone, for example, after 40 years, which are incredible wines, uh, I had in my mind a Bone Boucherot 70, for example, incredible wine, you say, wow, what a fantastic appellation. Because when it's young, it, show you, it shows you just a part, a few part of what it is. But after 30 or 40 years, you just discover how it's, it was complex and how, how it was important to let the time to that bottle to, voilà, to show you what it is. So it's something we, we continue, of course. Every year we are keeping, uh, not on all wines, but uh, for, for few wines, we are keeping 50 hundred or one barrel uh, of wine in bottles for the memory for the next generation. So it means you're right that uh, probably in my career, I will drink a lot of wines made by Jacques and uh, the pleasure to, to taste uh, my wines will be for the, my successor probably. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it does seem true that Jadot has a clutch of good vineyards around Bone and Bone Premier Cruz. Yes, you know, Bone, bone is really the... A part of our DNA. It's what I said. We we were created in Bone. We are in Bone, and uh, we we own now 25 hectares uh, in Bone, uh, from the north to the south part. As you know, uh, Bone is a very complex appellation. You have different exposures, different type of soil. So uh, in north we have some grève, we have some Bressande, we have some Teron, we have some Cra, which are beautiful vineyards, very different. In general, the north part of Bone, if I sum up a little bit, they, they, 
That's really wines on the elegance, uh, on the nose, the nice flavors, vertical wines, because the, the soul is mainly chalky soul, white soul. So the, you have, you have really this elegance of, uh, of the tannins and the flavors. So it's, uh, when you have really, uh, voilà, the nose and very nice nose. Uh, you have the Claude Couchereau, which is a very special wine because it's the south exposure, a rare exposure in bone. South exposure, so you have always a fantastic ripeness, fantastic concentration on that wine. And uh, after that, you have the south parts uh, between bone and pomar with the Clos des Ursules, of course, the, the first vineyard we, 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 we bought. Les Boucherottes, les Choicheux. It's more earthy wine. It's more wine where you, you have a certain structure. The tannins are always a little bit more, uh, I would say, uh, present and you feel it, but fantastic wine to be aged uh, a long time. You have a lot of water under the soil on the south part and uh, the soils are a little bit more complex. It's not only the sedimentary soils. Uh, you had all the, the, the soils which are coming from the mountain, from the, the slope. So it has made, have made the, the, the soils and the, the, the wines a little bit more complex. So yes, Bonne, it's a fantastic appellation. Not so well known. Why do you think that is? Probably because, you know, Bonne, uh, our first reason is uh, Bonne is known because uh, Bonne, the city of Bonne, the capital of Bonne, um, and people, they don't realize that they are in... Uh, the one of the most wide uh, vineyard in Côte de Bonne because it's a very large vineyard and probably because uh, in Bonne you have uh, you have Chanson you have Drouin you have Bouchard you have Latour you have us you have Les Hospices de Bonne and uh, we are the biggest owner of this appellation so it means that uh, We are negotiants and uh, we are the traditional negotiant. We are doing, I, I think, uh, the good job, but probably for a part of the, the, the customers, uh, when you have not a big star as a small grower to, uh, to serve as locomotive for an appellation, this appellation is a little bit less uh, trendy uh, uh, as the other one. Uh, see what happened, for example, in Saint-Aubin. In Saint-Aubin, it was a small village, not so well known uh, 20 years ago. You had a new generation in, in Saint-Aubin, very good growers. They done a, a fantastic job. And now Saint-Aubin, it's a very, uh, it's a very trendy and very fashion appellation. It was not the case 20 years ago. So probably what we need in Bonn is to have a, a small grower, uh, one or two big stars. Uh, we are the big stars uh, of the village of Bonn, but uh, it seems to be not necessary uh, and sufficient uh, for, for this appellation, unfortunately. Well, one of the, my favorite burgies, though, is, as you mentioned, the Bonn Clodo Ursu, and I have found that that wine ages really well over time, as you said. What are those vines like? Are they older vines? or? Yeah, on, on, vin on vineyards like that, we are doing something very special. We have a strategy to maintain an average age of vine plants around 45, 50 years old. So it means that every 20 years, 25 years, we are replanting a quarter of the vineyard. So in the vineyard of Claude des Ursules, for example, there is a very old part, which is uh, from the, the 50s, uh, 53, if I remember well. Another part is, uh, was planted in the 70s or in 75 and so on. So we, we, are, we are replanting on the, our greatest vineyards every 20, 25 years, a quarter of the, 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 the area. Again, to not to, you know, to remove, uh, to, 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 to come from a very old vine plants Uh, to a very young vine plants, which could be a mistake because you change 
of course, as you know, the, the wine, the quality of uh, a, a wine, you know, a good place. It's, of course, it's the vineyard, the place, the, the soil, the subsoil, the vine, but the vine plant, the vegetal, it's something very important. You cannot go, do a good wine if you have not a good Pinot Noir or good Chardonnay. Uh, and you have uh, many, many types of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, which are not so interesting. So the quality of the vegetal, it's something very important. Uh, you have to know we have uh, our own nursery. Uh, we are growing, we are farming two hectares in Côte de Nuit. Uh, the vine plants are coming from our oldest uh, vineyards, like uh, Chapelle Chambertin, like uh, Claude Bez, like Claude Saint-Jacques. We have, uh, we still have some Pinot Noir from the 20s, 1920, 1921. So, and we are using using it to uh, to for nursery, and we are producing every every year around two twenty thousand vine plants to replant in our best vineyards. So it's something very important, the vegetal. Uh, we are taking care of that. So pre-clonal material, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. One of the other wines that I found ages well amongst the reds of, of Jadot is the Corton Puget. And you have some holdings around the hill of Corton. What are those holdings like? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, nice, it's a nice story, the Corton Puget, because as you know, it's the, the heart of the hill of Corton. It's the, one of the, the places where it's possible to produce red, Corton Puget, with the name of the climat. And if you produce white, it's Corton Charlemagne. And uh, the story is, uh, it's funny because we are only two producers actually to, ha to still have uh, Corton Puget. If I remember well, it's Rappé now and uh, the other one is us. Because of course, the temptation to replant Chardonnay and to produce Corton Charlemagne on that place is, uh, is big. Because you would make more money probably. Of course. Um, Uh, you you say it. <laughs> it was not me. Uh, of course, yes, this is the, the main reason. And uh, but it's a mistake because of course the Corton Puget uh, has something very special. You produce red on a white soil dedicated for white, so it gives to the wine a very very special touch. And that's the origin of the hill of Corton, the reds. Now the east, east exposure on the, the Ladois side is mainly red, but uh, the south exposure in Naros Corton it's mainly white, and Pernod Vergelès it's 99% or 100% of white. So Hill of Corton now is mainly white, which is a mistake because we are able to produce fantastic wine on that place. And Corton Puget it's uh, one of it, very special wine because south exposure, good altitude. But again, a soul which gives to the wine a very, very special touch, more elegance, more lightness on the good way, uh, on the good side. Uh, it means that you have the elegance of the tenant and it ages very, very well. We, we have a large collection of all vintages. It's, uh, it's a fantastic wine, yes. So in general, when you say things age well, when would you start opening up a bottle like Corton Bouget? A minimum, I would say, on that type of wine, it's around uh, five years three, five years, it's a minimum, but five years, of course. And uh, you know that after seven, ten years, it's, uh, it's, it's, really, it's really better. It's really better. Corton Pouget at the beginning could be a little bit close. It's a little bit austere when it's young. But again, after uh, three, five, seven years, it, it shows you how it's elegant, how it's, uh, it's, uh, you have a very, very special flavors, very nice. It's not the Corton, you know, uh, on the, again, uh, from the East exposure, which are sometimes a little bit wide, a normal. Uh, it could, they could be rustic. Claude du Roy, for example, or Corton Bressand, it's, uh, well, it's, uh, it, it shocks you because you have big tannins, it's, uh, and you, you, you feel the leather. And the Corton Pouget, it's more on the flowers or on the, really the fruity style. So it's, uh, it's really different. But the tannins could be a little bit firm. So that's why you need to wait a little bit before to open it. 
And what about your holdings in the Cote de Nui? We've spoken a little bit about your holdings in the Cote de Bone now, but what are you farming in the Cote de Nui? Cote de Nui, uh, we, we, are, we are really lucky because we have fantastic vineyards in Cote de Nui too. One of our classic is really the, the Clobougeot, of course, because we, we, we are a nice owner in, in Clobougeot. In Clobougeot, it's a, it's a funny wine because uh, people are not so confident with Clobougeot because, it's so, as you know, it's a wide uh, Grand Cru. It's the, the widest in Cote de Nuit. Uh, and for a part of the people, they, they think that there is a, it's important to know where you are in Clobougeot to produce a good wine or not a good wine. You have to know that it's uh, if my feeling. It's not a good idea to know where you are because... The first reason is, voilà, we are inside the Clovujo and the Clovujo this is the, the full Clovujo. And the other reason is, uh, a lot of very nice producers of Clovujo are exactly where we are, which is on the paper, uh, the worst part to produce a, a Clovujo. So I mean, on the beginning of the Clovujo like, along the national road. But the mistake people do is, uh, you have to know that in Clovujo, the ranks, the rows are very long. So, for example, us, we have 400 meters rows long. So it means that, okay, we start from the low part, but we go to the two-thirds of the Clovujo. So it means that we have a large a large view of the Clovujo. Because it, that's true that the Clovujo is not a consistent Grand Cru. Yes, of course, we know it. But uh, we include a large part of the Clovujo, and we have probably uh, different layers of soil, different type of Clovujo, but which makes the complexity at the end of the full Clovujo. Because again, uh, a wine, especially the grand terroir, uh, the large terroir, the large vineyards, uh, they are not so much consistent. Clos Saint-Jacques, for example, is the same. The top, the middle of the, the low part of the Clos Saint-Jacques are not exactly the same soil. We know it. But what makes the Clos Saint-Jacques so special is to have the three parts. Because the three parts bring something. They balance the other part. Uh, maybe you have the body on the top, the, the elegance on the middle, and the foot on, on, on the low part. If you, if you take just a, a part, you have not the full Clos, uh, Clos Saint-Jacques. It's not the entire Clos Saint-Jacques. So, in fact, the inconsistency of the soils of some places like that, which are quite big in terms of area, makes the wines complex. And that's why it's so interesting. Because when you have just one type of soil or something uh, less complex, the wine is less complex too. Because uh, the, uh, the, the complexity of the soils makes a part of the complexity of the wine. So... Voilà, so we, we are lucky, that's true, we have many, many beautiful vineyards. Gevray, we have nice vineyards too. Uh, I spoke about the Clos Saint-Jacques, but uh, all the vineyards around the Clos Saint-Jacques, we are really lucky to have some Estournel Saint-Jacques, Lavaux Saint-Jacques, Castier, Combemoine. So uh, we are turning around the Clos Saint-Jacques, so it's, uh, you could do fantastic tasting in our cellar, because when you are touching, uh, you know, the Estournel Clos Saint-Jacques, which are the, we could say, the top part of the Clos, the Clos Saint-Jacques, you have Lavaux Clos Saint-Jacques, you could say it's the roots of the Clos Saint-Jacques. After that, you go to the other side, you taste the Combemoine, which is the, the south, uh, the north, sorry, uh, high part of the, the Clos Saint-Jacques. After that, you can taste the Clastier and at the end, taste the Clos Saint-Jacques. So you turn around the Clos Saint-Jacques and you finally taste the Clos Saint-Jacques in, uh, in totality. So it's, uh, it's, it's, voilà, it's fantastic to have uh, the opportunity to produce so many wines and so diverse wines because that's really the, the richness we have. So in a way, like you were alluding to before, a map of Burgundy in your cellar. Absolutely. We have a part, uh, of course, we are, not, uh, we, have no, we are not producing all the wines, but that's clear. It's uh, one of the great... This is the difficulty we have to produce so many wines. But in the same time, it's, it's why it's so exciting. 
It's why it's so challenging to have this luck to have a large view of what we are able to produce from the north part to the south part, from Marsanet to 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 Santonet uh, through Chassagne, Meursault, Puligny, and so on. It's a it's an incredible ex experience and and opportunity, and it's it's why it's so fun. And in areas where you may not have holdings yourself, you've contracted for holdings, like with the Duc de Magenta in Sassani Montrachet. And yes. what's that relationship like? You know, the idea is to have a very deep relationship with all our uh, growers who deliver us some juice or some grapes. So what we, we want is the long-term relationship with people like that. Uh, Duc de Magenta is a good example. We, we are working with them since 30 years or something like that. So... It's a very long-term contract we have. Uh, in Côte de Nuit, we have a very good partnership, and, uh, and that's old partnership. So, yes, the idea is really to create something um, year after year, uh, create the confidence uh, by being loyal to what they want to do, to uh, loyal in terms of they are loyal with us, we are loyal uh, with us. So it's uh, with them. So it's... Uh, it's year after year that we test with them. They, they come to test in our winery. Uh, we show them what we want to obtain uh, in terms of quality of grapes. And uh, so it's year after year. As you know, in Burgundy, you cannot say, I want that. I want the grapes like that because they can sell to other people uh, 10 times. So it's when you are buying grapes from a Grand Cru, for example, they have a lot of demons. So you cannot put the pressure. And the idea is not to put the pressure. The idea is to, to, to be more sensitive, to be more smart, in, in having good relationship and just in showing them, why not? Why not, you know, see what we want to obtain, see our wines. Uh, did you think that it could be interesting? And year after year, you could have an answer, a positive answer. So that's the idea. What would you say are the hallmarks of the Duke de Magenta property, having seen so many of the wines? They have, uh, so they have this nice luck to, to own the Puligny Moranché Claude Lagarenne, which is a little bit less as one hectare, just in front of Les Folatières, very special. Premier cru, very delicate. Folatière has a certain richness, uh, certain deep. Probably it's more, uh, you have uh, more elegance uh, on the Claude Lagarenne. Uh, it's a very vertical wine, very, uh, very nice. They have some Puligny Lagarenne on the plateau, là, on the top part, very high. And they have a monopole, which is the Chassagne Morgeau. Uh, so the behind the, the, the old church, which is right on the middle of the, it is very wide Premier cru in Chassagne, Morgeau. So the Claude La Chapelle. Uh, they have two hectares in white and one hectare in red because they still have some red, which is very nice because you, are, you know that in Chassagne it was mainly red. Uh, Chassagne was known to produce fantastic red, but uh, people have replanted uh, mainly some whites. And Morgeau now is uh, mostly white, but uh, that's a very fantastic place to produce good red too. So um, that's the three wines they, they, they have, the three vineyards they, they, they own. And a lot of times we've been hearing about hail in the Cote de Bonne. How has that affected you in 2012, 13, 14? Just to give you an idea, uh, in, in 12, for example, in, uh, in five minutes, 10 minutes, we have lost something like uh, 800 barrels of wine voilà, in five minutes. The same in uh, 13, probably more, around 100 barrels in 20 minutes. And in 14, uh, we have lost, uh, just in Bonne, we have lost uh, 500 barrels of wine. Uh, because bone was really affected, mostly affected in uh, in fourteen vintage. 
So, in general, in Burgundy, uh, we consider that in four vintages, uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14, we have lost one vintage, one full vintage on a half, uh, which is crazy. Huh? It's, uh, it's huge. It's, uh, it's enormous. Enormous. Um, of course, we, well, it starts to be a problem in Burgundy because, again, it's what I said at the beginning. We, we, there is a pressure on Burgundy. People want Burgundy. People, uh, Burgundy uh, is fashion, and um, hopefully for us, it's uh, we are very happy with that. But uh, on the other way, we are not producing uh, any wine since uh, four vintages, so it's uh, it starts to be a problem because. There is uh, an impact on the price. Uh, you, you, that's true that we you you, you start to see uh, some villages at a crazy price, uh, and that's a problem for Burgundy. So we hope that uh, we'll produce more wines in the future. 14 we was a little bit better as 13 and 12. We are on the good way. Uh, Chablis has produced some wine. The Maconnais is better. Côte de Nuit uh, we have produced some wine. It was not so good in white uh, in Côte de Bonne and uh, and of course Volnay Pomar uh, and Bonne was was affected were affected but that's true it's uh, voilà we we know that it start to be it could be a problem if it's if the, the we are not producing any wine because the we, are, we will we will be unable to maintain uh, the level of price and uh, and enable to produce enough wines for for everyone but. We are confident, you know. There is, if something, if we have to do something, it's to be optimistic and to believe that uh, next year will be better as the other one. Do you see it as something that might be a continuing problem? Is there some confluence of events that's making this more common now? You know, so I'm not sure that uh, it's okay. That's true. Uh, it makes uh, four years that we have big hell, um, three years with the big hell storm. 12, 13, 14, 11, we had some, but, you know, it, it could be a cycle. And uh, maybe uh, the next four or five years, uh, we will uh, have no hell. It could happen. Uh, we never know. So uh, what is true, it's when it's coming now, uh, hell storm, it's a big storm. That is true. Yes, the two last years, 13 and 14, uh, most of the growers, the, the old growers, uh, they have never seen that in terms of power of storm. That's true because it's it was really intense. But it, in the past, it happened. So we don't know. It could be a cycle. I'm uh, again. I'm I'm optimistic, and I don't want to believe that uh, now every year we will have some uh, hell storm. No, uh, absolutely not. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, what could happen? So um, again, uh, the 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 next uh, four or five vintages could be absolutely perfect. So we we don't know. So there are a lot of things out of your control. But now you've been there for about four or five years. Mm -hmm. How do you see your first decade at Louis Jadot shaping up? If we have this interview again in five years, what are you going to tell me? You know. My 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 target my um, my challenge again is to uh, to make sure that we will keep this line this idea of making the wines as uh, more transparent more royal as possible as what they are at the beginning the origin. I have of course some ideas. Uh, the I am remember I studied in Montpellier viticulture agronomic and I'm very very close to the vineyard so uh, and this is a part of my responsibility and probably one of my uh, one of our challenge uh, it's to um, 
be really ambitious for the the way to grow and to farm our, our vineyards because we we know that um, in in terms of practices uh, it, it has to change it has uh, but we have not the, the good solution because organic it's uh, it's a way biodynamic it's another way but as you know in burgundy uh, the weather is not so good every year so it's a, it's a challenge and today uh, organic is not perfect biodynamic is not perfect the conventional we know it's not perfect because we are using chemicals but in organic you are using copper which is a problem in biodynamic you are using a lot of sulfur too a lot of copper uh, other things so today it's something we have to be focused on finding the good way to farm our vineyards to be more precise to be able to produce some grapes but in in being the more respect uh, respectable to our environment for the future because this is clearly a, a key point a key point for the future so that's probably something um, I have in my mind it's to really to work on that because voilà it's uh, it's a very important part to be to, to have good wines you need good grapes and you need to have a vineyard for the future so for the next 25 years 30 years uh, we need to think about that uh, and again maybe uh, voilà uh, staying on the line to be uh, to be the more precise as possible to to have the most clear pure wine as possible to that I, I, I hope that voilà in in say in, le, in in letting the wine speaking for me and hoping that people will say that the wines are voilà what they have to be uh, loyal and uh, uh, to to the origin and pure uh, because sometimes uh, we 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 hear that uh, they think that there is a shadow style you we spoke about that so really I I want that people are convinced that this is not our idea to have a style we are we, absolutely not uh, we are trying to do the same job as the the top small producers and growers it, it means uh, be very simple it doesn't mean doing nothing it's exactly the contrary it's it means be really really precise at each moment uh, each step of the, the the process to to be sure that we are not doing a mistake we are not letting appear the default on the, on the wine uh, and and that's that's really uh, something uh, which is not so easy to do and it's why we are we have a team it's why we have all this facility around us because it it was if it was so easy to make uh, good wines uh, voilà we were just alone and uh, we nothing uh, voilà we, we had nothing to do it and it, it's not the case so what do you see as the historical great vintages for Jadot? you know jacques told me that his best vintages at his eyes was 97 now it's a funny thing because if you look if you think about this vintage it's uh, it's not a very famous vintage in burgundy it's probably one of the rare vintage where people have absolutely no more bottles because they are unable to show you a 97 but i always have heard jacques told me yes 97 is one of the uh, very interesting vintage for him why it's one of these vintage where at the beginning everything was done difficult to make good wines because uh, the 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 ripeness was very very bad very difficult at the beginning but he he has waited he has waited a lot he has lost a large part of the crop in waited because the you know the botrytis arrived and uh, but when they have picked at the end so late later as the other probably producers they have made fantastic wines and that's true that the 97 wines in our cellar are fantastic wines 
Well, after that, you have many, many uh, fantastic vintages, but 85 was a key vintage for us because it's the vintage where we, we had uh, the Claire Dahu domain. So 85 uh, for Jadot, they have produced a lot of barrels of Musigny, a lot of barrels of Bonnemar, a lot of, uh, a lot of everything. So they had fantastic wines. They have fantastic, we still have fantastic wines in 85 and um, large production. So it's a, it's a key vintage for us and very interesting vintage in terms of quality. So, but you have, you have plenty of um, fantastic vintage. And what is true, because we have this collection, what is funny is to show some challenging vintages. And in, from our cellar, we, we like to show some vintages a little bit more difficult on the paper which are fantastic surprises in terms of wine after 20 or 30, 40 years. 84, which was not a fantastic vintage, we have fantastic whites on 84. Uh, 93, for example, uh, 78, uh, 73, uh, I remember some vertical tasting on whites, uh, Corton Charlemagne, the 73 vintage was a fantastic bottle. So, again, all the vintages, you know, it's like children. Sometimes they disappoint you at the moment, but one day they will, they, they, they will make you proud. It's just a question of time. Be patient. And uh, we have this great luck to have uh, fantastic vintages in, uh, from our collection. Sometimes good vintages on the paper, sometimes more challenging vintages on the paper, and, uh, but it's always a, a nice surprise. What about the market for new vineyard acquisitions? This is it essentially insurmountable at this point to buy Côte de Nuit land? Or? If you are talking about Côte de Nuit, yes, it's clearly difficult because the prices are really difficult, but uh, really high. But it's the same for the top Premier Cruz uh, or Grand Cru in white in Côte de Bonne. We, we are lucky. We, we had some, some new vineyards since uh, two, three years. We, we, we had some new bone. We had uh, Le Bonne Cra, which is new. We had some Chorelle Bonne, which are new. I can tell you now because it's uh, it will be official in a few months. Uh, we have bought Meursault Perrier, uh, which is a fantastic vineyard. On Congratulations! The, yes, thank you. It's on the top part of uh, really on the top part of the slope, so it's still possible. But opportunities we will have some. After that, uh, that's true. It's a question of price. It's a question of relationship with uh, growers. That's why it's so important to have good relationship with growers because the old generation, when they arrive at the moment where they, they want to sell. If they have a good partnership with uh, with a company like Jado, uh, they think about Jado. Why not Jado? So we could be the first one, and that's so that's very important. So it's a part of the relationship we have. Uh, it's to be there, uh, voilà, from the beginning to the end. So um, opportunities, uh, we will have some, uh, but that's true that now uh, there is a big pressure. Uh, the prices are very high. We are not uh, alone. There is, uh, you, you, there are always uh, other producers, uh, small producers, big producers, and strange people who are coming from far from Burgundy. Uh, well, it's uh, it's the rule. But you know, Burgundy it's something. It's a region where people are a little bit. Um, uh, can I say? Um, um, resistant. They they don't they don't sell uh, like that to people who are not coming from Burgundy. So. Uh, of course, after that, maybe they have a price, but uh, but not so much. They are they are loyal to uh, the story, and uh, uh, when the idea is to maintain, for example, the uh, the entire domain, the story of the domain, 
and to continue, you know, to respect what the what a generation or sometimes uh, many generations have done. They prefer to sell to a guy like that, to uh, many, many guys who have more money, but they will destroy the, the domain. So, so we'll see what happens. We will, we will have some opportunities for sure, I hope. Frederick Barnier of Maison Louis Jadot, he's letting the wine speak before he does. Thank you very much for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Levy. Frederick Barnier of Maison Louis Jadot. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.